There are a lot of people who lie and get away with it. Over the North Atlantic, toward the east coast of the United States. The United States is, as the dominant empire, is connected to all the other countries. The Inside Jobs, Brian, Jean, and Lee investigate Jack the Ripper and the Whitechapel murders. From August to November of 1888, London's impoverished Whitechapel district was haunted by an unseen, unheard, and unknown killer known only as Jack the Ripper, who violently attacked prostitutes in the early morning hours. Despite a massive investigation, the local police were unable to uncover many clues to the perpetrator's identity, and, ultimately, the murders went unsolved. At a time when tabloid newspapers were more available to an increasingly literate public, the media had its first frenzy, spouting outlandish theories about Jewish plots and foreign infiltration, and confusing an already xenophobic and frightened city. Because the killings never produced concrete answers, questions remain about the murderer's identity and the dark forces at play. Did Lewis Carroll embed secret codes into Alice in Wonderland, confessing to the crimes? Did members of the royal family stage the murders in order to take our guns away? And did the Freemasons, who control everything already, commit the murders as a solid fuck you to doubters who thought their shadowy dominance was slipping? Joining me today to investigate the Whitechapel murders are civilian investigator Gene Fitzgerald O'Neill. Hello. And conspiracy expert Lee Golden. Good day, gentlemen. I'm historian Brian Lane. Welcome to Inside Jobs. Uh, that was a kind of a strange intro, Brian. Um, I mean, of course... Really? I did, I did a lot of research on it. Well, I mean, okay, everybody knows that uh, Three's Company famously had multiple unaired pilots. Uh, with the character of Jack Tripper, he had multiple professions. I think in one uh, iteration, he was a craftsman, and another, he was uh, a struggling actor, a struggling Wait. singer, and then they finally settled on, on uh, him being a cook. But I don't remember him being uh, a serial killer. That. That would have been a Wait. little too edgy for audiences back then. <laughs> Gene, what are you talking about? We're talking about Jack Tripper, John Ritter's legendary character on uh, Three's Company. Uh, 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 I just, uh, I don't we, remember, I don't know, I, we I just, could go back. No, it's, we're, we're gonna do Jack the Ripper, mm, not Jack Tripper. No, you, the email said we were talking about Jack T. Jack Tripper. I, maybe I think you had a period and then no space between T and Ripper, and I was confused. Jack Tripper. We're going to talk about the conspiracy that uh, outed um, Suzanne Summers in season five amidst uh, contentious con- uh, contract negotiations. 
No, Gene, it, it, it was always about Jack the Ripper. What did you think when I kept sending you stuff about autopsy photos and murders and police investigations? Well, there was, you know, Norman Fell and uh, Don Knotts both had mysterious deaths. No, they didn't. Brian, to Gene's credit, when you did tell me that we were going to be solving the greatest murder mystery of all time, I did spend all weekend beating L.A. Noir. Um, so <laughs> I don't really know anything about Jack the Ripper either. Just want to come clean on that. So so we're wildly unprepared for this episode is what you guys are saying. So. Uh, well, I don't know. We'll, let's see. I, I, there's, I think there's a, probably a lot of overlap between... Jack Tripper and Jack the Ripper, besides just the eerie coincidences of the name. Um, Jack Tripper was in the Navy. Uh, Britain is renowned for their Navy. Jack Jack the Ripper might have been a sailor, actually. Well, there you go. So, maybe, maybe they knew each other. May, well, maybe he called himself Jack the Ripper as like a clue to the police, like trying to get give away his identity because he he wanted to take credit for the murder. Ah, uh, see now, okay, now we're on to something. Huh. Wow, well, I I never I never really even thought of that. Well, all kidding aside, Brian, um, you know, I, I did go in deep into the archives as usual to do some research on uh on Jack the Ripper. Um, so I, I traded in L.A. Noir and got Jack the Ripper, uh, Sherlock Holmes versus Jack the Ripper for Xbox. So I did bone up on some research there. Oh, man. I'm glad oh. we have Lee to go deep into the archives. Yeah. Right. The used bin at GameStop. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, if it, to, to talk about Jack the Ripper, we, we've got to sort of set it up because... 1880s London was a very different place from from what it is today. A very different place from 1980s London, which was way cooler, way more punk. Oh man, yeah. The, the specials were doing all those albums. New Order would do a secret set. It was great. Skinhead fights. <laughs> Skinhead fights, sharp fights, Monty Python. Mm. <laughs> I would say that the 80s really were the decade of Monty Python. I would agree. Life of Brian. It, that's the story of my life. <laughs> yes, the famous Monty Python movie about Brian Lane. We're recording a scene for that movie right now. Uh, <laughs> this is this is a pivotal scene in the movie. It's when I finally commit those murders uh, of my podcast co-hosts. It's the longest movie ever. <laughs> so, You're actually going to turn it into three movies. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's one small, slim book that isn't very good anyway. I'm going to turn it into three movies. Um, so, yeah, so, so 1880s London was, uh, you know, kind of the height of Victorian England. And um, these murders happened in London's East End, which in the late 1880s was a very bad place. It was very impoverished. Um, there were... For the hip, you know, as, for the hip uh, young crowd listening to us, that's kind of like South Central LA. <laughs> it was very well, overcrowded. Um, yeah. Well, know, what, every- what's what's funny is that uh, since this time, uh, uh, Whitechapel, which is in the East End, has gentrified, and it is now like the hipster artist neighborhood yeah. in East in East London. Um, but uh, yeah, at the time, overcrowded, uh, tons of people were living below the poverty line. 
there were, uh, I believe it was something like 2,000 prostitutes And there was the also area. lots of um, hip-hop guys selling their Victrola records out in the streets, which was really annoying. Yeah, just really trying to push it on you. Yeah. Uh, um, 2,000 yeah, prostitutes, no. that's low, right? Or is that high? Uh, we're, the total population of Whitechapel was 2,005. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, so low these five. For, so that's these low five... for Britain at the time. <laughs> yes. Which reports a 100% <laughs> prostitution rate. Um, <laughs> the, uh, but yeah, so there were, there were tons of prostitutes, and there was a lot of crime. Um, uh, domestic disputes that ended in murders, shootings, uh, vandalism, uh, rob, robbing... It was it was a really bad place, and um, so there's this uh, detective Frederick Aberlein who will who will come into the story later, and he served for years and years in uh, the East End, and apparently just was desperate to transfer out. And in 1887, he finally transferred out into Scotland Yard, and um, which was kind of like Beverly uh, Hills Cop of the, of the time. Right, he was he was he a real was, fish was, out of water. Yeah, he was a real fish out of water. But so, uh, Whitechapel was known for its crime and uh, and poverty. But in 1888, in about April, some of these crimes were so violent and brutal that the the public really started to take notice. Um, in April, on April 4th, 1888, Emma Elizabeth Smith, who uh, was was assaulted by three men, including one of them was a teenager, who uh, uh, raped her with a blunt object, and uh, she ended up dying from internal wounds. And this was, you know, such a violent crime. It made all the papers. Uh, she was able to I- identify, or, or at least describe some of her assaulters, but they were never captured. And then later, on uh, August 7th, 1888, there was a... Um, Martha Tabram, right? Yes, Martha Tabram. Uh, it, it's kind of a, a gross scenario. Like, you know, 2 a.m. at this uh, lodging house, there was a, um, like a, a stair to a platform and then another stair. And on this platform, vagrants would often sleep. And mm-hmm. so people would, people were coming home late at night, late all night, like 2 a.m., 3 a.m., 5 a.m., and they saw this you know, pile of clothes or, or bundle or vagrant, what they thought was a vagrant sleeping on the steps and they just passed it by. And it wasn't until about five thirty that someone thought, Oh, I think that's she a human. Got up. Yeah. I think that's a human being that I should check in on. And it turned out to be Martha Tabram who, um, was, uh, last seen with, uh, she and another prostitute. Oh God. What's her name? Pearly rolls were um, drinking with two soldiers. They split mm. off to go peddle their wares, so to speak. Right. And uh, that was the last time she was seen. When they discovered her body, she had been stabbed 39 times. Which was her same age. She was stabbed for one year of her wretched life. <laughs> God. It's like <laughs> counting the rings on a tree. Yes, it is yes. like counting... You can tell the age of a prostitute in Whitechapel in the late 1800s by, um, tell their age by how many times they've been stabbed. Commonly known fact. Oh, God. This isn't funny, Brian. It's not funny. We've got to tell you that every episode. Uh, I was the most gruesome murders 
I was uh, thinking we, of... Know, uh, we haven't even gotten to time. season two of Three's Company, Brian. So <laughs> yeah, I was thinking if, if you're just going to spend uh, the whole time laughing, we're not going to cover any ground here. Oh, yeah, sorry. Mm. But right, these sorry, are not, sorry, these two us. victims we've mentioned, they're not part of what's known as the canonical five of the Whitechapel murders of 1888, which are right. the five uh, victims that um, most people believe were enacted by um, Jack the, the same, Ripper, as he Yeah, the same person. Be known. They were killed in the but, alternate universe. You're right. <laughs> it's more like fan fiction than, you know, actual fan canonical. Murders. Um, Jack Tripper has a goatee and he's from an evil dimension. (laughs) (laughs) And he's actually gay this time, instead of pretending to be gay, to fool Mr. Roper. Right, he's pretending to be straight in the other dimension. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, but these, these crimes were so violent that there was an increased police presence in Whitechapel. Mm -hmm. Especially after August 31st, 1888. When, I guess I don't have to keep saying the year. It all happened in one year for everybody, just so you know. Um, August, so August 31st, um, in Bucks Row, <laughs> in Bucks Row, which was a, a, a street that had like a, a fence alongside it yeah, and a, and a sidewalk, um, some uh, very, very early in the morning, these day laborers were uh, walking to their jobs and they saw a body and they felt her face and her hands and her, her hands were cold, but her arm and her face were pretty warm. Mm -hmm. One of them thought she might even still be breathing, but they were late for work. So they said, okay, let's keep going. When we see a cop, we'll tell him they finally found a cop told him there was this body he went back, and by that time, another cop had already stumbled across this body, and it was Marianne Nichols, also known as Polly, a, mm-hmm. a 40-something prostitute. And uh, she her, her throat had been slashed open down to the spinal column. Like, it was, it was a very deep throat slashing. But they didn't see that much blood, and they, they honestly thought she might be alive for a little bit, but they... You know, felt her, felt her, and she was still a little bit warm, but she obviously wasn't breathing. Hey, her head is almost completely off. She might still be alive. (laughs) Well, it was still, it was still uh, dark. It was still dark out, so it was hard to see. But the the policeman in the... Jack the Ripper's murder sort of evolved over time and became more and more gruesome. So you can sort of see the early um, signatures of Jack the Ripper starting to come in here that weren't really... Um, in the original two murders, and you'll sort of see this trend continue. Mm-hmm. So she, her throat had been slashed, and they kind of figured out later in an autopsy that it it had happened from left to right. Um, but uh, one thing was that when they finally went to pick up the body, it was wet and very heavy. And what they discovered was her her abdomen had been cut open, and right. her intestines had come out. But because she was wearing excuse me, so many petticoats underneath her uh, dress, they had soaked up all the blood. And so when they finally were able to reveal this, there was uh, there were severe lacerations to her abdomen and her intestines were hanging out and her sexual organs had been mutilated. Mm-hmm. It was just that, you know, there wasn't much blood on the scene because it had all soaked right. into her dresses. Um, and this was just such a violent murder and a 
additionally, when they found her body, it was starting, you know, it's coming on six o'clock about the time that people would start going to work on this very busy commercial road. And so a crowd started forming. And in those days, they didn't really take crime photos uh, and they didn't really have any forensics. So instead of observing the body in the scene, taking pictures and making sure they could get all the clues that they could, they, they picked it, it up back and then have someone inspect the body and, and uh, r- in, right. in the privacy of, uh, you know, the morgue or mortuary yeah. area. They would just all hide behind stuff and hope that the criminal returned to the scene of the crime. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Sorry, mm, very serious. Um, so yeah, so they took her back to the mortuary. They're uh, able to identify her within about an hour. Turns out that she was a prostitute, and kind of the running thing of of Jack the Ripper murders is that all the victims were prostitutes, and not only that, most of them were old prostitutes who had these very sad lives, where they had sort of started off, you know, maybe not rich, but okay financially, families, but then. You know, often children would die, um, the husband would disappear, they would start drinking, and later in their life they would turn to prostitution, uh, what's called casual prostitution. Where Just trying to get enough to get a bed and lodging for the night. I mean, that was basically, these, these women were, were just trying to sc- scrap together enough money for some, some bread and a place to sleep. Um, and it was very tough for them, because yes, they were pretty much sad, older older, older women, you know. And uh, and prostitution just out on the street was uh, was pretty common in the area. And this mm-hmm. particular Polly Nichols had uh, been drinking the night before. She went to a lodging house and she didn't have enough money to find lodging. So she went out, you know, super late at night, like two, three a.m. Went out, found a few clients, was able to get more money, but then kept drinking away all of her lodging money. Right. And they drank a lot of gin at that time because I think it was the least expensive spirit. Yeah, it was it was it was it was much cheaper gin and bitters. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, so she was you know probably pretty drunk. Probably found a client. He surprised her because nobody had heard any. Nobody had heard screams or, mm. and there wasn't really a sign of a struggle. No lacerations on her hand or anything like defensive wounds. Yeah, most of the victims didn't seem like they had struggled, which made investigators believe that they were they were all probably strangled before a lot of the stabbing and mutilation happened. Right, and there was some evidence of that, but again, the necks were were more or less destroyed. Right. Um. In the in the slashings, but so here's this brutal murder. Mm-hmm. And uh, because it was on a big commercial street before they had time to take the body away, a lot of people had seen it. So it was mm-hmm. it was the talk of the town, the gossip of the town, that mm-hmm. this woman had been horribly mutilated, and coming on the on the backs of those other horrible crimes in April and just a few week, weeks earlier when Martha Tapram was stabbed so many times, mm-hmm. um, the police were like, "Well, we should we should do something." Um, so they called in Frederick Aberline. Or Aberline, I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce it. Who was maybe it's basi- Abeline. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, so that was the first crime, and it was on August 31st. Uh, just a week later, the second murder happened. Annie Chapman. Uh, yes, Annie Chaplin, September 8th. Sort of a same story. 
she, you know, didn't have enough money for lodging for the night. And this is, you know, a, a pittance. It's like basically the cheapest lodging she, that you can find. Mm-hmm. She couldn't afford it and they turned her away. She was ill and had been ill for about a week, but she, she had, and so she'd gotten medication. And uh, the pills, having the pills on her uh, corpse was how they eventually identified her, actually. Ooh, what kind of pills? E. MDMA. E, MDMA. Okay. Yeah, that's why she was up so late. Um, just fucking, you know, getting crazy. Yeah, doing massages. <laughs> Trying to get three pence for some glow sticks, you know? Drinking so much water. Man, she was just ripping through those pacifiers. One of the one of the sort of uh, nefarious aspects to these murders is that the prostitutes all knew the ins and outs of the neighborhoods, mm-hmm. so they knew areas where they could take clients for sex that were out of the way where they wouldn't be bothered. And so, after the fact, they sort of realized that. Hey, I can fuck you under that pile of garbage over there. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not that far from that. It's just awful locations like. Up against a fence behind a building, like a butcher building. Um, and that's basically where they found her, in this little yard with, uh, near a fence. There were coins near her, uh, the uh, ripped envelope that had these pills that she was taking. And at about 5.30, um, before before she was the last time she was seen alive, uh, a, a woman named Elizabeth Long saw her talking to a man who she described as, you know, a darker complexion. He had on uh, like a deer stalker hat, sort of like um, Sherlock Holmes. I, oh, and okay. He, I was like picturing picturing deer antlers or something. <clears throat> that would have been a big giveaway. She saw her talking to a minotaur um, <laughs> with a mustache, dark complexion, and she described his clothing as shabby genteel. Um, and that was the last time she was seen, about a half hour later at 6 a.m. Shabby uh, her, genteel was the name of a local clothing uh, store. Right, so they were able to trace the receipts and solve the crime. <laughs> but those receipts were uh, those receipts were destroyed. Ugh. If only. Come on. Police, get your shit together. Um, but no, so they found her, and, and, and again, her throat had been cut. There were uh, horrible uh, mutilations to her sexual organs, her abdomen. Mm-hmm. Her intestines were out. They were her able uterus to... uterus was missing. And yes, her her uterus was missing, and that, that brings it. that brings us to another point because the uh, mortuary, uh, the mortician, saw what had happened to her body and initially thought, oh, that he must have some sort of surgical experience or perhaps at least butchering experience. Uh, on the, at, on the other hand, it's thought that maybe he just cut her up and grabbed whatever he saw and didn't know what organ he was taking. And it just happened to be part of her uterus. Because really, I mean, let's be honest, guys. You know, most men have no idea what they're doing down there. <laughs> yeah. We're just basically poking around. We don't know. Yeah, we're hoping for the best. <laughs> Mons so, pubis, what is that? Yeah, I thought that was a Star Wars planet for a while. <laughs> So that happened on September 8th, and then um, a couple weeks later, on September 27th, uh, this this letter was uh, sent to uh, 
uh, I believe a newspaper, and the then forwarded to Sc- Scotland right? Yard. Yes, the Dear Boss letter. And Dear Boss is uh, at the, was at the time considered more of an Americanism than uh, than British slang. Yeah. So that sort of made people think that perhaps the writer of this letter was an American. Now, whether the author of this letter was American or British is beside the point because it's mostly was it the killer or not because so many hoax letters were being sent to the media and uh, the police and investigators that it's really hard to determine, you know, did the killer actually ever communicate with anyone uh, in this fashion? But the Dear Boss letter here, I'll, I'll, I'll read it. It's pretty short. In the voice. Dear Boss. <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that. Dear Boss. I keep on hearing the police have caught me, but they won't fix me just yet. I have laughed when they look so clever and talk about being on the right track. That joke about leather apron gave me real fits. I'm down on whores, and I shan't quit ripping them till I do get buckled. Grand work the last job was. I gave the lady no time to squeal. How can they catch me now? I love my work and want to start again. You will soon hear of me with my funny little games. I saved some of the proper red stuff in a ginger beer bottle over the last job to write with, but it went thick like glue and I can't use it. Red ink is fit enough, I hope. Ha ha. The next job I do, I shall clip the lady's ears off and send to the police officers just for jolly, wouldn't you? Keep this letter back till I do a bit more work, then give it out straight. My knife's so nice and sharp, I want to get to work right away if I get a chance. Good luck. Yours truly, Jack the Ripper. Don't mind me giving the trade name. P.S. Wasn't good enough to post this before I got all the red ink off my hands. Curse it. No luck yet. They say I'm a doctor now. So that's uh, that was a, a letter that, um, that only after the fact became uh, important to the case because of what happens next. And that is, a couple days later, the double event occurs. And is he not known as Jack the Ripper at this point? Or is he that was the yeah that was the first instance of the name Jack the Ripper being used and when the letter became public and people knew about the the name Jack the Ripper became the uh, you know what everybody started referring to the perpetrator of these crimes as he mentioned right. also a leather apron which was a, a, a Jew known in Whitechapel who was a butcher and wore a leather apron mm-hmm. uh, that was sort of the um, the trade clothing that he was known for who had assaulted a man with a knife and, you know, apparently was insanely misogynistic, had insulted women would, would walk around in broad daylight screaming things. Uh, obviously not the same modus operandi as Jack the Ripper, but at the time, a lot of people thought he might be responsible. Um, so on September 30th, 1888, the double event occurs. Mm-hmm. That, of course, refers to the murder of two women in uh, one event, one evening. Yes. Um, Elizabeth uh, Stride and Catherine Eddowes. Yes. The first was Lizzie Stride, and this is kind of an interesting one because there's much less much less violence visited upon her, her body. Uh, a man was uh, riding his coach. His horse kind of reeled back. He got out to see what it was, and there was a dead woman lying there. Lizzie Stride, this... You know, forty-something Swedish immigrant. Her throat had been slashed pretty, pretty horribly, but there was no other sign of mutilation. And that's right, about so the, 
the logic here is that he was somehow interrupted in the middle of his work and uh, didn't quite get to finish what he was trying to do, so he had to go after another woman um, to complete his fancy for mutilation. Mr. Right. Roper had probably walked in on him with a woman. <laughs> and so, and since he's supposed yeah. to be gay, he probably had a yeah. lot of covering up to do. It, it, yeah, exactly. So in order to show he wasn't gay, he just killed her. He's like, look, I'm, I'm not gay, I'm just a killer. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Mr. Roper was like, oh, that's fine. Uh, so this murder actually ca- caused a problem because Mitre Square, where it occurred, uh, is not under the administration of the Metropolitan Police, but under the City Police. And so it's like, it's like one, it's like in Die Hard when the Feds show up. And uh, oh man, there was a there was a sweet argument over jurisdiction. Yeah, right. there was a, there were some really sweet arguments over jurisdiction in the in the Edo's murder. And John McClane said, "Well, it doesn't look like you're in charge of jack shit from up here." Yeah, you just yeah. got butt-fucked on national print media. <laughs> the tabloids that they will publish tomorrow. <laughs> oh, man. Right. Chapman and Chapman, no relation. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, so Catherine Eddowes was the, the second murderer of that evening. And the uh, worst of all... Her, so far, yeah. She was yeah, horribly her, mutilated, mutilated in the face, but then also throughout her whole abdomen. She was basically just like opened up like for a dissection in science class. It's disgusting. Yeah, and part of her kidney was missing. Uh, part of her ear had been cut off, which you'll remember from that From Hell letter. Uh, he said he'd clipped the lady's ears off, which... From the Dear Boss letter, right? Dear Boss. Or, sorry, the Dear Boss letter. Uh, he said he'd clipped the lady's ears off, which corresponded to this... And uh, that's what made uh, investigators take a second look at that at that letter because, you know, was this was this actually the killer saying he would cut the ears off and then this ear had been cut or was it a coincidence? Mm-hmm. Well, but I mean, because in fairness, a little more important. he basically cut everything off. It seems like to cover his bases. Right, right. He he wrote the letter, but he couldn't remember exactly what he said he would cut off. So he mm-hmm. just went about cutting off one of right. one of each. Or if it was a copycat, he was like, "Ah, oh, what if the real killer sent in a letter saying he'd cut a certain part?" You know. So. Yeah, covering all his bases, really. Yeah. Um. So that was horrible, a horrible crime, and it was followed by two more letters that were uh, of note. One of which was the aforementioned "From Hell." Uh, letter, which is much more brief, but also creepier in a way. Although it's not yeah. signed by Jack the Ripper, right? The um, so the as we said, there were two murders that night, and the reason it's called the double event is because of the saucy Jack postcard, which uh, which came to uh, to investigators just a couple days after after the event happened, and it said. I was not cotting, dear old boss, when I gave you the tip. You'll hear about Saucy Jackie's work tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Double event this time. Number one squealed a bit and couldn't finish straight off. Had not got time to get ears off for police. Thanks for keeping the last letter back till I get to work again. Jack the Ripper. Mm-hmm. Saucy Jack and Coke Zero, by the way, is awesome. <laughs> So they think that, uh, you know, there's there's a timeline problem with that letter. Was it sent before the public knew about those two murders or after? Because it does ref- refer to the double event and how the lady sc- screamed and couldn't finish. 
And then right. two two weeks later, on October fifteenth, the From Hell letter was sent to a Mister Lusk. He was the head of like basically a neighborhood watch um, organization in Whitechapel area, and it's uh, addressed as if the the writer is sending it and it says From Hell. Can I read this one? Yeah, go ahead. All right. Um, I'll, I'll let you pick voices. Okay, so you can either have um, Barack Obama, Kermit the Frog, or... Um, Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum. Okay, which one do you guys want? Yeah. I vote Goldblum. Goldblum. Uh, I, I just want to say to the listeners, though, that this letter is obviously written by a different person than the other two because it's... They're crazy misspellings. This letter is clearly and... written by Jeff Goldblum. Yes, exactly. Okay. Here's my Jeff Goldblum. From hell, Mr. Lusk. <laughs> I send you half the kidney I took from one woman, preserved it for you, t'other piece I fried, and ate it, and it was very nice. I may send you the whole bloody knife that took it out. If you only wait a while longer, signed, catch me if you can. Wow. Yeah, was that Jeff Goldblum on the Skype just now? Yeah, where, how did Jeff Goldblum get on the microphone? Yeah. Uh, he escaped from Jurassic Park and came right over. Oh, man, is he in the Matrix? Can he just, like, appear on podcasts? Man, if there was a Matrix, I would just go to the Jurassic Park program every day, and that's where I would hang out. <laughs> Isn't that more like the um, the holodeck on Star Trek that we're talking about? No. Yeah, except you don't have to wear tights. <laughs> yeah, you got sweet leather garb. Right. Nice. So that's the from hell letter. That's the from and hell it came letter. With the kidney, and right? Yes, as you as you said, uh, send you half the kidney I took from one woman, and indeed, Catherine Eddowes had part of her kidney missing, and this letter contained a jar of alcohol with a kidney in it, and which is Lee's favorite drink. yes it is lee has esoteric tastes ever since he went to the orient Mm -hmm. um uh yeah no so it it had a piece of kidney and 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 they were able to determine at the time that it was indeed a human kidney by eating it that's how they determined yeah right they had very uh, archaic technology back then. You just had to eat something if you wanted to know what it was. Kind of like in Oblivion. Right. Or Skyrim, I should say. Yeah. Um, so the... Uh, so they were able to determine that the kidney was real, but, uh, you know, where is somebody going to get a human kidney at this time? They've got to be like a medical student, a doctor, uh or it turns out most mortuaries were also workhouses, which is where poor, um, you know, poor workers would sell could their get kidneys. like a yeah sell their kidneys. No, could get like a day job. So you know, anyone really could if they if they wanted to get a hold of a kidney. Hell, you want a kidney? So, I can get you a kidney by three o'clock this afternoon. There are ways, <laughs> but it'll cost you. <laughs> Um, so then the killer basically went silent for, uh, over a month. Um, and there were no killings in October. Uh, but then in November, the worst murder of all occurred. And mm-hmm. that was, uh, a, a different the from the other murders. Worst. 
Yeah, the new worst. It it upped the ante on worstness, and this one was different for multiple way in multiple ways. One of which is that the victim was not a forty something, you know, sad at the in in her middle age prostitute, but actually a twenty five year old um, uh, woman who they think was either from Ireland or Wales, or named Mary Jane Kelly, mm-hmm. and. Also different from the other murders is that this one occurred in her house. Right. Um, she so Jack lived... the Ripper, for the first time, wasn't looking over his shoulder while he was doing his work. You know, right. He got some privacy and uh, got to do what he had always wanted to do with his victims. So that's why it's, they say, the most gruesome. And it definitely is. I mean, they he basically cut this woman into different pieces and basically pulled all the skin off of her face and just did horrible mutilations that would make you know, even Hannibal Lecter lose his appetite. Right. The, uh, the, so the, the murder occurred sometime in the early morning hours, and then uh, they went around, uh, an assistant went around to collect her bill because she was late on paying the rent. And he looked in the window, saw that something was wrong, called the police, the police had been instructed to wait for the uh, like chief inspector, but they didn't know that he had uh, retired the very night before. Mm-hmm. So there, were, it's this room with this dead body that has been mutilated, and they waited for hours. It wasn't until the early afternoon that they finally broke the door down. And not only that, but the stove was going, so it's a hot room as well. I cannot even imagine how awful it smelled. Uh, when they finally opened it up and there's this woman who's basically eviscerated with uh, her abdomen cut open from like her breastbone down to her vagina. Parts of, uh, parts of organs are scattered everywhere. Her heart is completely missing. Her breasts have been cut off, one of which is placed under her head. Um, some of the viscera had been thrown into the stove and had burned. Uh, and then, like you said, Lee, her nose, her face were mutilated beyond recognition. You can see photographs because for the first the time... The only crime scene that was photographed, yes. Right. It's basically the first crime scene photo in history. They set up a camera and took several pictures of her body as she laid, laid uh, as they found it. And it's, you know, even though it's black and white, even though it's grainy... It is brutal to look at. It is just an awful, awful picture, mm-hmm. and you know, just oh, basically man. the I'm worst to think murder. Of it like a sweet, like CSI uh, Miami type one-liner I could do. Sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> we wish you could too. Yeah, we wish you could too. It would have been great timing. We were waiting for it. Um, but so that. What what people didn't know is that that was basically it. That's the end of what we now think of as the canonical murders, but that was also the end of murders that mimicked this style of someone being slashed across the throat, a prostitute, and then, uh, and then being mutilated in some way. There was a, a torso killer that, that plagued uh, Whitechapel for the rest of the year. Um, they found uh, <clears throat> the Pynchon Street torso, I believe it's known. It was just like a piece of a woman that they found. And then they found a couple other, they found another um, headless torso found somewhere else. But uh, most people don't think that that's related to the, the Ripper killings. Yeah, like we said, Whitechapel was just a very violent place. And murders happened quite a bit. But 
nothing resembling the Ripper murders occurred ever again. And the police were basically stumped. And, And so, you know, we have five murders. Some people only think that three of them were the Ripper's doing. And we have, you know, very few clues, letters that could be hoaxes, all sorts of stuff. But, you know, one of the few clues that we do have is a piece of uh, apron from one of the victims that was found um, with after, blood after on it. it was the Edo's, the fourth murder. Correct. Uh, the night of the double event. And yeah. um, they found it under this. Um, little piece of graffiti on Golston Street, which is, and this has now been known as the Golston Street Graffito, and it, it had a, a very strange message that seemed to be about the Jews, which has variably been quoted as the Jews are the men that will not be blamed for nothing, and also I think the Jews are not the men who won't be blamed for nothing or something like that. It's just kind of a nonsense sort of anti-Semitic line, and Jews has been... The, the, written like J-U-W-E-S or something like that. The reason that we're unsure about the actual wording is... It was um, erased. Yeah, it was erased because they found it and it was, uh, you know, graffito on the wall of a building that where a lot of Jews lived. Mm-hmm. And considering how the public was, you know, frightened and outraged after these murders, the uh, chief of police thought it would incite a riot if they saw it that part of the crime scene was near this uh, graffito right. like if the if the if the killer was possibly a jew if if the the weird phrasing meant that the the jews aren't responsible or the jews are responsible that people might go into a riot so before they could even photograph it uh, he had someone copy it down or he had multiple officers copy it down and then it was erased so mm-hmm. we don't know exactly what it looked like and we don't know the exact wording but it seems that Jews, J-U-W-E-S, you know, probably relates to, you know, Jews. Yeah. Probably, people probably people James them. or something. Yeah, it pro- it's probably their first confession uh, of their, their protocols. That, yeah, that was probably the prologue to Protocols of the Elders of Zion. Yeah. Right, the prologue. There's a... <laughs> The leather apron, leather excuse me, leather apron. I believe was was a Jewish gentleman, and there was just lots of anti-Semitism in Whitechapel mm-hmm. at that time. I don't think you, know, you have was... to contextualize anti-Semitism in any particular <laughs> right. time. At that time, known as human existence, there was anti-Semitism. And, have all of our um, episodes really had some feature of anti-Semitism in them. I think they have. It's right. Like the, Running gag of our of our show is anti semitism. Yeah, we right. hate we hate Jews. Lee especially. <laughs> right, I'm a self hater. Since I'm a Jew, I just really hate myself. <clears throat> um, but yeah, no. So that 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 ties it up. Five murders, and what are the clues? Nobody knows who did it. But since that time, there have been, you know, there's been a lot of wild speculation about who committed. The Jack the Ripper murder. So, in part and speculation two, speculation about conspiracies to cover up who really did it. Right. So, in part two, we will go into who, you know, unmasking the killer. Finally, the final answer to who was Jack the Ripper. Uh, looks like a pretty surgical job, huh, detective? No. Puts on sunglasses. It looks like a hatchet job. Yeah! <laughs> I just thought of that. 
Good, you're a loose cannon tripper. <laughs> During the autumn of 1888, there occurred one of the most baffling crimes in the files of Scotland Yard. In the Whitechapel area of London's East End, women walked in fear of their lives. A wave of terror had been caused by an elusive murderer known as Jack the Ripper. Well, guys, we have established the facts of the case. We've looked into the lives of those murdered, the Whitechapel environment, and we've basically come up with nothing so far. So we should really, you know, just go give to... up. Oh, keep going. Yeah. <laughs> well, in the archives last night, um, I found some <laughs> records of a few of the suspects. And Brian, I think you had mentioned. Lee, I'm sorry, but what strata of the archives did you plumb? Uh, this was the lower left half of the the depth of the archives. Okay, so you went deep into the archives. I went deep into the archives. You didn't just skim the surface of the archives, as like Brian does. No, yeah, I had to use the like the second bathroom at the archives. Like, there's a bathroom at the front, and then there's a bathroom at the back. And you know, if you're closer to the bathroom at the back. That you're really deep into the archives. Yeah. Oh, wow. I can't but you even... can't bring any of the archive materials into the bathroom. It's a new rule they have. I like how I'm insulted for only skimming the archives. But you guys understand, I have to pay the bills on that, on the air conditioning to keep it climate controlled. I'm paying for two bathrooms. It's really hard work to keep those archives intact. Yeah. Well, Lee insists on sitting down to pee, so that's why we have to have two bathrooms. <laughs> Well, the only reason I sit down is because I miss if I stand up. Yeah. Because I'm too busy reading about the archives. And that's why Brian made that stupid rule that I can't bring stuff into the bathroom. You just that's why you got a phone. Yeah, you just hide it under your shirt. Okay. <laughs> Say you got a weird boner today. When a... is that not true? <laughs> I have a record-shaped boner today. It's shaped like a microfiche. Okay, so you were you were deep in those archives. You were all you... up in those archives. I was looking through all of our zip disks. <laughs> you um, have to romance the archives first, though. You can't just get in there. Nah, Lee just cannonballs into the archives <laughs> with his little investigative dick. But my big investigative mind. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you discover, Lee? Oh, well, I discovered there's, there's quite a few... Um, contemporary um you know suspects people that the police believed were like people who are alive today oh okay that's another group people who are alive today um suspects who are alive today right um mainly um hitman nixon richard nixon dick clark um dick clark and the guy who replaced dick clark ryan seacrest ryan seacrest um and um, there are also suspects that the police believe themselves were um, actual you know, people who might have done it. But then there's also, over time, been lots of interesting figures that have popped up um, as possible suspects. The silliest, I think, is, of course, the Lewis Carroll one you were referring to earlier. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, it's, the it's classic. It's kind of like if, 
if you've heard the Bi- of the Bible code where you, you know, it's sort of like if you look for phrases in a text, you mm-hmm. can use a cube computer algorithm to find them. Yeah. Um, and, uh, they, you know, people have suggested that in some of his poems and writings, Lewis Carroll secretly Im- embedded this code to confess to the killings. But uh, I, I, I mean, that's just bullshit. Yeah. Um, there are some other theories like, uh, Sir Conan Doyle, who wrote, uh, Sherlock Holmes thought that it might've been a Jill the Ripper, um, who could have possibly been someone who was an abortionist, or uh, uh, who had been traveling around the city giving abortions to prostitutes um, and was killing these women in order to not be found out for giving abortions. So So basically Barack Barack Obama basically was a suspect. Right. Right. They they couldn't get this Jill the Ripper because they couldn't find a birth certificate for her. Um, They could only find a certificate of live birth from Hawaii, so she was released. What what about a Gene the Ripper? Because oh. there were a lot of Irish immigrants no. who lived in the area. Let's move along to other suspects. <laughs> Looks from side to side. <laughs> um. So there was this guy named Druitt, who I think. Oh well, uh, we should we should say just real quick. Yeah, Melville M- McNaughton, who was um like the commissioner of the Metropolitan Police in London. Mm-hmm. He, several years after the case, in uh, 1894, he was not directly involved in the case, but, you know, he got reports from his um, his staff. And he released this memo that outlined three suspects that were, you know, he claimed were the highest on the list of the mm-hmm. suspects. So, And one of them was? Uh, Montague John Druitt. Um, who was a Dorset-born uh, barrister, um, who killed himself um, very near after the... In December. Uh, the murders, right. And, you know, he was alleged to have had some misconduct, um, possibly of the homosexual variety, um, and some say he, he killed himself over shame or, or, or guilt over that or something. But uh, others believe that he was one of the possible killers. Um, another possibility was a guy named uh, George Chapman, who had no relation to, to Annie that, Chapman. That um, was, yeah, that, that was actually, uh, maybe it's Abilene's uh, choice for the, the killer. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Kosminski um, was also mentioned in, in a couple of sources. Um, and they pinned this down to the only possible Kosminski that that could be is a guy named Aaron Kosminski, who was a Polish Jew. Um, and uh, he, after the killings, was uh, committed by his brother. Um, and um, that's, uh, you know, there weren't any more killings after he was killed. And a lot of contemporary uh, policemen thought that Kosminski uh, was the guy. So some people say that that was him. Yeah, a lot of people at the time, or a lot of, uh, you know, b- British citizens just believe the the crimes were too heinous for a British person to have committed. Mm-hmm. So they were looking to Jews, Poles, Irish, uh, a lot of the other immigrants that, that sort of made up the cast of, uh, cast of characters of the East Enders. Right, because if um, it had been a British killer, um, it would have been a quick kill. They would have come in with a silenced... 
um, Walther PP7 and then said like a really cool quip in a Sean Connery accent and then left. It wouldn't have been such a mess. Yeah, it wouldn't have been so graphic. Um, another of the killers was Michael Ostrog, mm-hmm. uh, who was... Uh, he was a gosh, con man from Russia, right? <laughs> yeah, he was a Russian con man. But um, it's interesting because he's, you know, um, they don't... This case is 124 years old. They don't get a lot of new evidence very often. But several years ago, an investigator definitively proved that Ostrog was in a, in a Paris prison during the time of the murder. So he was, you know, he's, he was a criminal in other ways, but he's fully exonerated of the Jack the Ripper murders, which is, you know, can't be definitively done for a lot of these other people who are named. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I heard some interesting, uh, information the other day that there was a production, uh, a theatrical adaptation of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde that was being performed right. in London at that time. And some say inspired someone to go nuts and start, uh, start killing people. And, you know, there's some, some interesting, you know, parallels there, I guess, in terms of the story of Jack the Ripper and, uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. But, um, you know, we don't really it, have a lot to go on. We don't really have much evidence. And it's uh, kind of, that's kind of like, uh, you know, like, Evidence of how crazy people were back mm-hmm. then, because they were like, oh, no way could an actor just act. He must be a murderer. Right. And there were other crazy ideas, like they thought if they if they photographed Annie Chapman's eyes, her her eyes would have captured a picture of the killer in them before she died, and they would be able to find out his identity. Which is insane. <laughs> no, you just enhance... Yeah. Uh, right, you put them in that yeah. little Blade Runner machine. Yeah. Enhance. Well, um, some people think that there was something, you know, spiritual happening or, you know, like Aleister Crowley, the famous, you know, occultist, said right. that, you know, someone was using dark powers to uh, murder these women. And that gets into some of the, like, the Masonic ritualistic conspiracy theories that I'm assuming we're going to tackle later. So, you know, yeah. there's well, all kinds of it, ways to explain these these murders that people have come up with over the years yeah i mean you should be excited lee because that you know with our deep investigation uh it seems like this is one of the few things the jews didn't do so you know you know yeah. give, let someone else have a chance well my think my thought is that actually that the the masons and the elders of zion at this time we're sort of trying to compete with each other. So I think that actually right. the murders were, were kind of going back and forth between the Masons oh. and, and us and the elders to try to prove, you know, who was really um, going to come in out charge. on top. Right. Well, so in the, in the 1970s, this uh, BBC researcher named Stephen Knight, um, found, he was doing research for a program on Jack the Ripper, and he came across this story. And I think Borman, the guy's name Martin was Borman. Told him the story, right? Who? Borman. I think the man who told him the story was Martin Borman. Uh, no, that was the <laughs> that was the party secretary of the Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I think his name was like Garnett or Bornet or something. Yeah, Bornet um, is right. So he came across this story that, you know, he he 
really got into and he he started investigating further and he he published a book called jack the ripper the final solution and it's uh, pretty much an airtight case but it you know points fingers at the freemasons and borman head of the nazi guys and final solution i'm not crazy You know what? I take it back. You could be totally accurate. Okay. Um, That's all I wanted to hear. Yeah. So there was uh, the basic thing that he, the the knight discovered was that there was a famous British Victorian painter named Walter Sickert. And he was friends with Queen Victoria's grandson, Prince Albert, who was named after the the famous uh, penis piercing. Um, as as most of British royalty are. <laughs> Named after different types of genital piercings? Yes. I don't even want to know what a Queen Victoria is. Uh, it's a type of VCH. Oh, okay. Vertical clitoral hood piercing? God, I um, just don't know any parts of the vagina. Um. You, well, you know where the where the Elizabeth the Second is, right? Still uh, alive? <laughs> what the butthole? Uh, yes, is what I was saying. Lucky guess. I'm gonna, um, man, I'm gonna give my girl the royal treatment tonight. <laughs> <laughs> um, guys, I'm gonna jack off tonight. You're going to rip one off, Jack? <laughs> yeah. It's going to be a royal jubilee. Yeah. Uh, but Jew so... spelled J-U-W-E-S. <laughs> yes. This is simultaneously the saddest and the bluest episode possible. Yeah, I know. Instead um, of mixing comedy and history together, let's say horrible things that happen in history and then say unrelated jokes about our genitals. Uh, I thought we were doing an admirable job relating that. <laughs> yeah, no, I thought yeah, we were doing right. pretty. I take it back. I think we're doing. I think it's going well. Um, so he was friends with uh, Prince Penis, and the story goes that Brian, Albert... get a hold of yourself. Oh God, I'm so hot and bothered. And by get a hold um, of yourself, we don't mean hold on to your genitals. <laughs> I know you're wont to misinterpret these things. <laughs> oh God, guys. Um, so Prince Albert and Walter Sickert, uh, uh, Prince Albert would, you know, dress in civilian clothing and go out among the London commoners. Kind of like in Aladdin, sort of, like when Princess Jasmine would dress up as a commoner to see what it was like. Right. Right. And, and you know, he was... murdered and mutilated. A lot of interesting parallels between this case and Aladdin so far. Brian, go ahead. Yeah, Prince Albert likes to, you know, similar to the genie in Aladdin, he liked to do his urban voice a lot when he was walking amongst the commoners. Well, that was the first wish he gave to the genie was to become a prince. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Um, uh, so he and he, you know, apparently knocked up this girl, possibly even married her. And when Queen Victoria... Hey, and a little other... something for the ladies, huh? For our female <laughs> listeners... In case yes. this story wasn't romantic enough. Yeah, they were just about to change the channel. <laughs> then well, they heard marriage. <laughs> well, the, the 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 reason that they got so close is that they were sharing a plate of spaghetti. 
they started chewing the same strand, it brought them together as soon as they kissed, she was impregnated. Yeah. And in England, that is a legal, legally binding contract of marriage. Yeah, the tramp is one of the suspects in the Jack the Ripper case. Yeah. Right. Picture Matthew McConaughey is playing Prince Albert, and Kate Hudson is playing the prostitute. Picture a penis with a mustache painted on it as Prince Albert. Done and done. <laughs> so, so the Queen Victoria and royalty found out about this, and she apparently appoint, uh, approached her surgeon, Sir William Gull, uh, who is thought to have possibly been an abortionist as well as a, a, a women's health specialist. And they said, you know, Freemasons, look, we're in a bind. Uh, not only is uh, not only is the, the heir to the throne married to this woman and he's gotten her pregnant with a child who could be the heir to the you know an heir to the throne uh this woman is catholic with which gene you know about that about catholicism yep yeah it sucks you know how uh run down it is yeah you're not um yeah, kind of, they frown on that yeah um so they basically uh you know the freemasons figured out that that uh they oh i fucked up the story <laughs> so these these four prostitutes uh were were threatening to blackmail the the crown for some money and th- they knew about this and so they were like we'll expose it if you don't give us money and so then queen victoria approached gull and said you know take care of this and the freemasons figured out that they were going to you know murder these women but there would be masonic symbols and rites associated with each of the killings so if you look at like a map of of london it's supposedly there the it killings all happen or something yeah yeah or like a masonic star or something and there's like there's two v's under the eyes of one of the victims and if you put it together it's an m for masons yeah and that and that's actually catherine eddowes who was the final you know uh like I said, the four prostitutes had uh, were trying to, to um, blackmail the British crown, but five were killed. And the reason for that is that Catherine Eddowes sometimes goes by the name or Mary went Kelly. by the name Mary Jane Kelly. Right. And so the you know, they think that Gull was mistaken and he killed her and that's why he, she was so brutally murdered. But then when he found out that it you know, it was a mistake. He went after the actual Mary Kelly, and that's why right. she was so horribly mutilated. Yeah, the first Mary Jane um, was getting kissed upside down by Spider-Man when she was killed. And um, that's kind of how that one went down. Yeah, cue yeah. slide whistle after the mistaken murder. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Which the, the, the bobbies, the policemen at the time, used to use whenever they discovered a new murder. They'd use a slide whistle. Yeah. Really set yeah. a weird tone for the investigation each time. Yeah, they were like, this is pretty gruesome. We should, uh, you know, try to make it a little more fun, a little more family friendly. Right. That's when they introduced McGruff or McGuff, the crime dog. Yeah. It was for the kids. Yeah. Hey, kids, take a bite out of gruesome prostitute murder. <laughs> Literally. So, calling back to an earlier episode, another one of the suspects was that guy Francis Tumblety, who had a huge mustache, and um, he was a known gay man, 
and uh, unknown gay man. Yes, he was Neil Gaiman, the comic artist. Oh, um, Gene, I thought you were familiar with Gaiman. Uh, yeah, I've spent a lot of time with Gaiman. He in the Gaiman Islands. You can take cruises out there. It's great. So um, we talked about him earlier in in uh, the Lincoln episode because he was brought in as a as a suspect um, in that assassination when they were basically arresting everyone in the country. Um, but you know he was released on that crime, and then you know here here we are uh, years later, and he's being arrested for this crime. Right, he was kind of a quack doctor. Right, dealt in tonics and spices and weird things like that. Well, wasn't that right. also a legit doctor back then? <laughs> Only to the untrained eye, a real doctor did not have a comical mustache. A real doctor at the time told you to move to warmer climates. <laughs> right. Yeah. Whereas take, a quack take doctor a s- prescribed tonics. Right. Man. Take a season in this by the seaside. That guy's mustache like has its own disambiguation page on Wikipedia. It's so big. <laughs> <laughs> the talk page is really, you know, yeah. Outside, outside, uh, not the usual Wikipedia tone you're used to. Right. Well, so this Masonic story and the whole thing involving, you know, the Prince Albert and Victoria, that's kind of dominated the, uh, you know, the popular culture interpretation of the Jack the Ripper murder. Everyone kind of thinks that it's a conspiracy, even though the guy who admitted tonight that uh, this whole story and the whole thing that it's all based on, he later came out and said, no, it was a bunch of BS I made up um, and tonight, but people still cling to this theory. He was supposed, you know, if you sort of follow his story, he found out about it from his mother. His mother was the baby that Prince Albert apparently had with this prostitute. Martin Borman. Martin Borman. And so if you sort of trace it down, he kind of had a claim to the British throne, which, you know, delusions of grandeur, I'm sure. Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, he, he basically admitted that the whole thing was, was fake. Right. And then, you know, but it's been popularized in our generation with, uh, you know, the from hell comic book, uh, or graphic yeah. novel by Alan Moore. And then, which, uh, which by the way, Johnny it's that movie, which by the way, that, that from hell comic book is fucking fantastic. If, even if you're not like super into, the Jack the Ripper murders, uh, it's just really, really a good uh, piece of storytelling. It's really fascinating. Yeah, it explains so, how Rorschach did it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, what are we going to say here? Who? Conspiracy seems... or no conspiracy? I mean, Conspiracy I or no conspiracy? Gene, what do you think? Uh, the conspiracy to get Suzanne Summers off of Three's company due to her <laughs> insane, at the time, contract demands. She wanted $150,000 per episode. This was, uh, over what she was getting at the time, $30,000 per episode. And that's a lot. Consider that the Friends <laughs> that's cast Ted money. went on strike, famously, to get 100000 each per cast member. And this is like, you know, this is the mid-1980s we're talking about. Uh... So, yeah, I would say it was a conspiracy because everybody hated working with her and wanted her off the show. Lee, conspiracy or no conspiracy? Um, I'm actually going to have to say no conspiracy in this case. 
I think it was just a crazy guy running around London and uh, we'll never find him. Um, I think the only possible thing that points to conspiracy is the erasure of the Golston Street graffito. But the Golston Street graffito is not necessarily related to the crime. And the way it's portrayed in all the movies is like being this huge graffito. And in actuality, uh, each of the letters is only about three quarters of an inch high. So I think those are the two things. That's the main thing that leads everyone to a conspiracy is there's this weird quote about the Jews being blamed. And then there's all the Mason stuff. Um, but, you know, modern criminal profiling and sort of forensics analysis has basically said that, you know, this is the type of guy it might have been, but we're probably not going to find him. Yeah. Big surprise. Lee the Jew says the Jews weren't involved. <laughs> yeah. We were involved in all the movies made about it. Let me just tell you. So I think that, yeah, we probably did commit this murder knowing that someday we'd invent movies and we'd need cool stuff to make uh, TV shows and movies about. Okay. Well, I'm I'm going to say conspiracy because if you look at the media reports about the inquests, the murders, the state of the victims, even pictures of the victims, nothing not everything adds up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for instance, Mary Kelly supposedly was murdered, but the the day after her murder, you know, her neighbor claimed to have seen her drinking in a bar, singing songs. She was uh, drinking another- a thing of alcohol filled with a kidney right Uh, another neighbor saw her so it's like well maybe she was still alive maybe the murder was faked because the royal family were trying to take our guns away right you know Uh. so i i feel like you know there's a lot of i'm just asking questions here but uh you know maybe we should look deeper into that because if you'll notice People aren't allowed to to own individual handguns in England these days. Uh, hunting rifles and shotguns are okay, but pers- personal personal firearms not allowed. So that's probably probably the culprit. Was the Obama administration? Well, yes, they were they were working with the royal family in 1888, yeah. trying to put forward that Ripper Care agenda. <laughs> this is they're gonna put you they're gonna put your grandmother in front of a panel of rippers and instead of giving her her social security they're gonna rip her apart they'll just that's rip what her obama to, wants rip her to pieces what, <laughs> rip her what rip her for each year of her age oh by the way <laughs> brian uh you said inquest earlier it's actually yeah. a mispronunciation. Um, it was actually uh, people talking about the Sierra game King's Quest, but in their horrible Cockney accent, it came out as Inquest. Ah, right. <laughs> well, in, in, yeah, it's like Inquest is rhyming slang for King's Quest. Right. It's a, it's a very complicated but beautiful language. <laughs> <laughs> a beautiful we're, programming we're the, language <laughs> used to create all of the quest games, such as Police heroes or space quest <laughs> but uh yeah well i feel like we've uh, we've you know we've added considerably to the uh, jack the ripper conversation as it continues we've each become ripperologists in our own ways mm-hmm. and i think i think our audience has learned a lot too yeah now I mean, we I know for s- sure who the culprit was we can confidently say that lee harvey oswald did not murder these women and i mean you know that's a solid if if that 
If we could say that about every episode, I would feel strong. But we can't. We just yeah. can't. Oliver Stone might you know? disagree. <laughs> well, he's got some pretty good ideas about who did it. <laughs> All right. I was waiting for a joke that only I would get. Lee, I don't know if you've been watching this untold history of the United States thing that that uh, Oliver Stone is showing on Showtime, but he narrates it and he does kind of a Shatner really narration. It's, it's a very halting. Uh, it's it's yeah, like um, cadence. It's really distracting. But then he also pronounces it ideas, and uh, <laughs> it's very entertaining. I don't know why he says that. Yeah. Or was Kennedy killed for his ideas? Oh man, you do a, yeah, that's a great impression. Well, guys, I think this was great. We we solved the the uh, Jack the Ripper crime mm-hmm. once and for all. We've got a final solution, uh, and, and people are hopefully gonna... someone will base a movie on our findings. Yep, because we starring starring Johnny Depp. And Marlo- well, I was going to say, starring Tom Cruise uh, as Martin Borman. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, but, yeah, no. So, uh, if uh, if people want to get, you know, I actually had a little t- Twitter conversation with, um, with fan Garth. He uh, had some very nice things to say about the show. Oh, thanks, he, Garth. I heard yeah, you finally he- got pubes. <sighs> Way to insult our one fan. <laughs> yeah, the great. The back one zero, guy back who... Back to no fans. Yeah, back to no fans. Not even my mom can listen to this shit. <laughs> um, but yeah, if you guys want to get in, in touch with us, uh, Twitter us at InsideJobsCast. Or you can always email us, InsideJobsCast at gmail.com. Our website is InsideJobsCast.com. And then we have a hotline. Zero people have called the hotline. I feel like we really need people to call the hotline. Brian, you're not supposed to tell them <laughs> no. You're supposed to pretend that, like, it won't stop ringing. Well, it won't stop ringing, but it's all these uh, debt collectors about the archives. <laughs> let's, I am way let's behind have a paying pledge the bills drive. That all you have to do is pledge that you will call. You don't have to pledge any money. All yeah, we want yeah. is one phone call. All you have to do is by make phone, a phone call you, right now. Just by dialing, you have already pledged. We want yeah. you to call the hotline to promise to call the hotline. It's really more of a cold line. Yeah. yeah. We'll that. give but you a tote s- bag if you just call us. Yeah. So I'm going to say that you've had enough time to get a pen ready. People, here's the phone number for the hotline. 413-225-1963. Serious. I have tote bags. I don't like them. I will send them to you if you call us. <laughs> We we're looking for you know who do you think killed killed the those women in Whitechapel in 1888, or what would you like what, us to investigate next? Yeah, what would you like to investigate next? You know, any anything basically about the show? Just yeah. give us accuse a call. us of conspiring. I'd love to hear we, your conspiracy theories about uh, us and why we're doing this show. My friend said we should do an episode about why Gene's Jobs is no longer a show. <laughs> that there was a conspiracy. I mean, right, exactly. Uh, the world is not uh, ready for that conspiracy. Yeah, the world de- is not ready for we'll that. We'll definitely story. get into that one one day. Yeah. That's also, the 18 I, minutes missing of the of the Nixon tapes. Nixon, reveals. yeah. 
Yeah. I also, I'm going to ask that our fans, our big fans, rate us. And Just the obese ones. Yeah. Rate us on iTunes and tell us what you think. And by rate us, I mean give us five stars and tell us what you think. Just give us insanely flattering comments, please. Yeah, we've had some pretty good, pretty good reviews so far, but we, it really helps out because the more ratings of those you get, the more likely it is that iTunes advertises you for free. The more likely it is that we get famous and we don't have to do this shit anymore. Yeah. Oh, God. I can't wait until we don't have to do this free show that yeah. we thought up ourselves. Groveling to you pieces of shit. Begging for iTunes ratings and, and hotline tips. I'm just waiting for the TV version that's going to be half as long and not quite as insightful. Oh, man. Isn't that the dream? <laughs> it is. We're all going to have to lose some weight. In the Well, in the TV version, Lee, you'll play yourself because you're handsome. Okay, thank you, uh, sir. I'll, I'll be played by, I don't know, Seth Rogen. <laughs> Who, and then Tom Cruise can be Gene. Oh, man. Finally. I think Tom Cruise will do me justice. Maybe Jack Nicholson? Yeah. Well, then my dad can, can play the part. <laughs> he, he would, no, I was going to say Jack Nicholson can play your dad oh. doing Jack Nicholson. These so. are the jokes. <laughs> <laughs> These are the jokes, baby. <laughs> Man, I love it in Batman when the girl says that he looks good and then he goes, I didn't ask. I didn't ask. <laughs> Man, we should do a whole episode where we investigate Jack Nicholson as Jack the Ripper. I think. Man, yeah, we should. Actually, there's a weird story about Jack the Nicholson because he like grew up his whole. No, no, no. I'm serious. He Jack grew up his whole Nicholson. life. Wait, what? You just said Jack the Nicholson. Yes, Jack the Nicholson. That's his middle, middle name. name. No, I fucked up. Sorry. Um, he, Just wanted uh, to his, point it out. He grew up his whole life thinking that his mother was his sister and his grandmother was his mother. And he didn't find out about it until he was like on the cusp of adulthood, like 18 or so. Wow. He didn't find out until he was about to marry his mom. <laughs> Found out she was Jeff Goldblum. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, turns out uh, I am, in fact, uh, your uh, mother. So, very, uh, very awkward Mother, situation. mother. But that is one big pile of shit. That is one big pile of shit. We are uh, going going to have uh, uh, mothers on this uh, mother tour. <laughs> um, but yes, no, thank you, everyone, for listening. We, we really appreciate... Any any sort of feedback, please call the hotline and uh, rate and review us on iTunes. That would just be awesome. Just go to Brian's house. He is so lonely. I'm so fucking <laughs> lonely. Do you have any weird Nazi ephemera? Just leave it there for him. <laughs> Man, I, I'm uh, uh, I I'm I'm planning to edit this uh, this this show while I'm traveling for work. That's how lonely my life is. Come on, people. I need something. And your job is doing inside jobs, right? He is going to an inside jobs convention that no one will be attending. <laughs> and for work, that means you stand out on the streets of New York and prostitute yourself out for sixpence. Yeah. While cosplaying as Martin Borman. <laughs> <laughs> Famous Nazi who solved the Jack the Ripper case. 
Oh, man. And then Mr. <laughs> Furley walks in, and it's just a big misunderstanding in general. Gives him the old Furley swirly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think we're good. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I think we're far uh, from good, and, actually. And, oh, and yeah. I'm... Let's not air any of this. <laughs> I I uh, I mentioned on the on the website we're gonna try to stay true to a bi-weekly release schedule. So we will see you in two weeks. Bye everyone, thanks. Bye. Bye. Yeah, exactly. So suddenly it's uh, they're coming into uh, you know problems of uh, oh somebody's at my door. I'm so sorry. Hold on. Don't get murdered, Brian. Oh no! This is supposed Don't to say happen. I'll be to, right back. This is supposed to happen to Lee, not Brian. <laughs>